This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberling. Hello, everybody, and thanks for tuning in to Transformation Ground Control. I'm Parisa Noble, and I'm going to be your host today. As you can see, it's just a solo cast today. We have an exciting show uh, where Eric Kimberling, who's actually my co-host, is going to be sitting in on a very engaging panel interview uh, with some other brilliant minds. Now, you can find us live on YouTube every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Mountain Time, 3 p.m. London, and 11 p.m. Hong Kong. You can also find us on your favorite podcasting platform, so... Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, you name it, we're on there. So make sure you hit subscribe and stay up to date on our content. Now, like I said, exciting interview with Eric here in a little bit, but I wanted to first kick off and recognize what's going on in the airline industry. Now, obviously, airplanes, aircrafts, they're they're probably one of the biggest carbon-emitting vehicles out there, right? You have these giant airplanes that are flying across the world, um, using up a lot of fuel, et cetera. And it's interesting to see the push toward utilizing greener, more uh, environmentally friendly solutions or implementing them really in a lot of airlines across the world. And I think if we're being honest, I think a lot of the airlines in Europe, based out of Europe, so British Airways, Air France, EasyJet, they kind of started doing this before um, with just making small changes in helping them progress toward a more carbon friendly, you know, fleet. But America, you know, obviously we just had a big, uh, election. So there's a lot of pressure on American, uh, American airlines, right? But the United States airlines like Delta and United, et cetera, to push toward becoming more uh, environmentally friendly. Now, I want to recognize Delta Airlines because they just put out uh, the news earlier this month that they're investing $30 million to offset 13 million metric tons of carbon emissions over the next 10 months. And that's all in an effort to help combat climate change. Now, obviously, 2020 has been just painful for the airline industry, right? There were, you know, one by one, all these flights started getting canceled. It was a year ago about now, right, where the world just kind of came to a stop as the pandemic started to take full force and nobody was traveling. Nobody was getting on those airplanes. Nobody was going anywhere. I mean, there was travel bans here in America, at least, and across much of the world. So the the airline industry took a hard crash, a nosedive, if you will. Um, and Delta kind of looked at that as an opportunity. You know, we're not flying as many of the aircrafts that we have. We have a lot of older aircrafts. They took the time to, or the opportunity, I should say, to retire 200 of their older aircrafts 
at the beginning of 2020 when demand dropped because nobody was using it right and now i don't know if it's that they're kind of revamping the older aircrafts and making adjustments or if they're just buying a completely new fleet but the newer aircrafts that are scheduled to join the fleet are going to be 25 percent more fuel efficient which i found awesome very interesting very good start now all, again all of this comes kind of t tailing behind what was already happening in european airlines like air france british airways easyjet i think air france british airways made similar commitments um for their domestic flights easyjet made similar commitments for all international and domestic flights and i think there is just a lot of pressure from the white house here in america to push the entire airline industry at least with the you know american-based airlines to you know adopt more of these eco-friendly uh practices into their into their business the ceos of these major airlines were actually at the white house discussing how they can tackle aviation pollution and i think this pressure is going to help push them toward greener operations because united airlines has committed to a special technology actually they've they're they're spending multi-million dollars um on a technology that captures carbon isn't that amazing? It captures carbon. It's designed to suck up carbon dioxide from the atmosphere as part of their plan. Um, and that, that plan is to go 100% green by 2050. Now, 100% green, I'm curious to see how they're going to do that. I mean, especially with, you know, such, an, such a high emitting, uh, you know, vehicle like an airplane, right? Or hundreds, thousands of airplanes. But it's doable if they say they're going to do it. Maybe they'll do it. You know, I wonder what the world is going to look like in 2050. I used to think when I was younger that by 2020, we would have flying cars and, you know, everybody would be wearing spacesuits, but not quite there yet. So maybe that's that's what we're looking like in 2050. We'll see. But surely it sounds like with these plans, I mean, across the airline industry and across really every industry, there's a lot of companies that are making these goals that by this deadline, we are going to be more eco-friendly, which is fantastic. So hats off to the airline industry. Uh, interesting stuff, so we'll keep you updated on news that we find there. Now, like I said, we have an awesome interview with Eric Kimberling coming up, but let's go ahead and take a quick break, and we'll come back and we'll hear from Eric Kimberling, Jason Carlin, and Steve Foster about what it takes, like, full scope to bring on a successful digital transformation from implementation to the data side. So stick with us. This is Transformation Ground Control. We will be right back. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology-agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Like 
Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. I'm your host, Parisa Noble. You can find us here on YouTube every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Mountain Time, 3 p.m. London, 11 p.m. Hong Kong. And also subscribe to Transformation Ground Control on your favorite podcasting platform. Now, let's go ahead and dive into the good stuff. We have Eric Kimberling on a panel with some brilliant minds. Uh, we have Steve Foster, who's going to be interviewing them. He's the founder and CEO of Connect 13. And Eric is sitting alongside Jason Carlin, who's the CIO of Flexential. Uh, now, all of these guys are experts in what they do, and it's amazing to hear their perspective on the different elements that are seemingly like a puzzle piece that come together to put on a successful digital transformation. So without further ado, I'm going to pass it over to Steve Foster to discuss the high level, full scope uh, ideas around what it takes to drive a successful digital transformation. Hi, I'm Steve Foster, and we're here today having a great conversation with a couple of great friends of mine. I've been in the tech industry in Colorado uh, for roughly 30 years now. Um, heavily engaged in software as a service and, and software related companies, some service companies. And, um, and I've been friends with these two guys for a very long period of time. So Eric, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? My name is Eric Kimberling and I'm the CEO of a company called Third Stage Consulting. And we help clients through their digital transformations. So we help clients select and implement their ERP software, whatever enterprise technologies they might be wanting to implement. We help them select the software and we also help with the organizational changes in the implementation as well. Hi, I'm Jason Carlin, Chief Innovation Officer with Flexential. We are a hybrid IT services and infrastructure provider. We build big data centers like the one that you see behind me, uh, operate in 20 markets across the, uh, the United States. And we all also offer uh, a network that uh, brings them all together as well as connectivity back into all the hyperscale platforms uh, that we call Flex Anywhere. Eric, making a, making a software selection for an ERP package is a big deal. Um, so what do companies need to think about? What are the top three to five things they need to consider when they're making this kind of a choice? Well, the first thing they need to do is, is look at what their business strategy and objectives are and really understand the, the vision of the company and where they want to go and what they want to be when they grow up and making sure that whatever technologies they evaluate, they do in the context of where they're headed as an organization. So that's the first thing is to identify what the strategic goals and objectives are and, and start to translate that into specific evaluation criteria that you would use to evaluate and select any sort of technology that you might deploy. The second thing is to look at your operations and understand what's working well, what's your secret sauce, and then what are the things that aren't working well that you'd like to improve either through efficiency gains or a better customer experience or whatever the case may be. And then I'd say the third thing that, that's important is to look at just the culture of the company and what kind of organization you are, what your people are like, and just what sort of environment you're operating in, that can heavily influence the type of technology that, that makes the most sense for you. But I think the key is really to start at the top and look at your overall strategy and objectives and then kind of work your way down into what specific technologies are going to help me best get to where I want to go. There's a lot in that. So Jason, when you, when you think about it, from your chair and, and, and at Flexential, companies have to make considerations relative to hosting as well, right? Whether they, whether they do it on-prem, whether they go into AWS, there's a lot going into that choice. How, do, how does a CEO or a CIO, the technical executives make that decision? What do they consider? 
Yeah, Steve, you're you're right. There's lots of lots of choices anywhere from you know co-location and, and private cloud platforms that you see you know behind us all the way to the the public cloud and to the hyperscalers and the SaaS platforms themselves that are operating um, the the ERP platform uh, on their own on their own. Um, we see a few different you know big areas there. One is is latency um, and and how the network plays into that is is a big piece. I think as more and more applications become real time, um, supporting you know, real time manufacturing, smart manufacturing, IoT, smart devices, the network really matters. Um, which means you know sometimes you want that platform very close to your end users or in your end facility. Uh, security and compliance is another big piece. Um, I do like to joke it's a little bit hard to send your auditor to. Uh, a hyperscale data center like Amazon, right? So you kind of, you gotta be happy with really what you get from them, which you know a lot of people are. But frankly, almost every, every customer is in this multi-cloud journey of trying to really mix and match different technologies together and being able to find kind of that right solution in the right place and, and, and for the right price because cost management and, and just even keeping up with the complexity of costs is another uh, big consideration as well as just integration you know, as a whole. As you think about many applications have so many different dependencies that, you know, it's very common where somebody moved an application to a, a hyperscale cloud platform and then had had to open up all these different things that they didn't even know that they had to open up. So lots of different considerations for sure. Yeah. So Eric, when, when that choice is made, that's the first step. Then implementation has to be considered. So A, what goes into um, implementing an application of that size in a business? And, and does that something that third stage helps out with? Yeah, it is something that third stage helps out with uh, throughout the, the implementation. And I'd say the place to start is to really define what that future state operating model needs to be or what you want it to be and really let your business drive how you're going to deploy technology uh, to the business. It's, it's pretty easy to fall into the trap of just saying, we're not going to worry about our future state. We're just going to roll out the technology and let the technology tell us how to run our business. But it's that leads to a lot of trouble where you just don't have a clear vision and clear governance governance around how to deploy the technology. So having that that future state operating model is important. Um, certainly defining what your architecture is and how you're gonna host the solution. Are you gonna host it yourself? Are you gonna use someone like an, like an AWS, like one of those big box providers or you know a, a company like Flexential that's a little bit more uh, targeted and, and focused? Um, whatever the case may be, you wanna figure out what your architecture and infrastructure strategy is. And then probably most importantly, arguably most importantly, is the, the organizational change strategy. So how are you going to ensure that you're not just changing processes, putting in new technology, but ultimately getting people to behave differently? And for a lot of technologies, even just with cloud and moving your systems out of your own four walls, that's a pretty big cultural shift for a lot of companies. When you just look at an IT department at the average company, that's a big change to take away their infrastructure and move it somewhere else. So you've got to kind of help them through that migration. And then there's obviously the operational frontline users or the people that are delivering your product or service and dealing with your customers and closing the books and doing all those other important processes. You've got to help them through that journey as well to make sure that they're getting the most value out of the investment that you're making in, in new technology. Jason, once once the decision is made and, and implementation starts, what what help can Flexential bring to the table relative to the infrastructure, it, it, either in the cloud, on-prem? How, how do you guys step in? How does Flexential join in that implementation process? 
Well, one, we, we do like to say we kind of work beyond the four walls, right? So I think it's being able to understand how the public cloud and the hyperscaler technology fit into a customer's roadmap. You mentioned architecture, Eric. I think that's you know where we would start as well, which is you know creating really a roadmap to say, look, from from here to there, this is how we need to, to work through this because it does take, you know, it takes longer than anybody anticipates, right? And um, security considerations, disaster recovery, business continuity, especially as we've learned over the course of the last couple of quarters that it's really important for us to have those um, uh, use cases understood as well. So really road mapping that out with the customer. We do that with our solution architecture uh, team as well as our professional services engineering team um, that can get into, you know, not only the high level uh, plan, but down into, you know, what are the applications, what are their dependencies, what are their performance requirements, network requirements, security requirements, and really put together that plan for, for the customer. Eric, when we talk about ERP systems, it's usually for larger organizations or organizations that are growing. Can you talk a little bit about growth strategy, scalability? How do you think about that? And how do you help organizations think about that? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and every company has a different a different definition of scale. And a lot of it comes down to how you define scale as far as what is it that is fueling your growth. So for the average company that say is, is looking for operational efficiency and they're really trying to drive cost out of their operations, scale to them is gonna mean, let's get a solution that will help drive down costs so that we can use that money to invest elsewhere and, and really grow the company. Some companies are scaling or growing by being flexible and providing you know, better customer service and a better customer experience better than their competitors can. Other organizations, it could be focusing on their talent management and really focusing on building those competencies and managing they, their HR function better than others. And it's not just one or the other, it, it could be a combination of those things or even other things we haven't talked about. So there is no, I, I would say there's not a universal definition of scale other than when you're talking about technology in particular, a lot of times people think of how many transactions can I complete or how much volume can I transact through my system? When I think of scale, I think of that, but I also think more importantly about the organization itself and how how does your operation scale? How does your organization scale? How do you provide that better customer experience? And really overall, what's gonna drive that growth to get you to where you wanna go? Scalability and, and growth is not just in the application in the business, it's in the infrastructure. So how do you think about that from the standpoint of future-proofing their IT, you know, how do you think about it from from an infrastructure company? Well, future proofing sort of is the holy the holy grail. You mentioned governance uh, before too. I think it starts there, right? It starts with, you know, if I can go create a model, um, you know, regardless of what, of the technology set that that allows me to understand agility and ongoing optimization. I think that's where it starts, and uh, and then being able to be nimble and and fast. You know, you hear infrastructure as code now, right? So the idea of of being able to kind of reprogram and, and repurpose um, platforms very, very quickly certainly is, is the key to agility. But you know, ultimately, an enterprise might have hundreds of applications. They're all in some different state. So governance really is the, is the key to sort of like, how do we put the guardrails together to be able to successfully operate this over time? Partnerships like this are great. Um, and, and we've asked some good questions, but what didn't we ask? What are the one or two things that you would advise your clients to think about? And, and Jason, I would ask you the same thing. What are, what are the one or two things as, as organizations make these decisions, not only in what they're gonna select and how they're gonna scale it, but who their partners should be and what those partners could look like and what they bring to the table? Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? So I, I'd start with really finding the, 
partners that have the best cultural fit with who you are. I mean, a lot of times companies will buy a product or service that they think sounds good on paper, but just culturally, it's just not a good good match with, with the organization, either because you know the provider is too big and they're not getting the attention they want or deserve, or it could be a number of other reasons. The other thing too is to really recognize that when a, when a software vendor, any sort of technology provider is trying to sell you on, on their services, usually it's, it's pretty biased. They're, they're trying to sell you the, on the strengths. And so it's important to recognize that you're getting one answer or one option you know, from, from the different sales reps you might be talking to. And a good example is when you go to buy software nowadays, especially if it's a cloud solution or something you want to host in the cloud, a lot of times software vendors will push you to use their hosting provider and say, hey, you know, we've got this application, we've got a data center, use our hosting service. But you as the customer have the option to go shop around and see, is that the right fit for me or do I want to host it somewhere else? What am I going to do with my other applications that that vendor doesn't support? So those are the, the kinds of things that people need to think through. And, and when you're reaching out to the average software or technology sales rep, you're not going to hear that. So it's just important to really back up and look at the fact or acknowledge the fact that you're the customer, you make this decision and really kind of cut through the, the sales messaging and really do what's best for your organization. What are your thoughts on that, Jason? Well, uh, having been a consultant probably for half my IT <laughs> career, I think uh, it depends is always my favorite my favorite answer. Um, but sort of to your, to your point, the one size fits all and working with, with partners that already have those preconceived notions before we even understand the requirements or what, you know, what situation the customer or their partners might be in always scare me, right? Because I think they're, they're coming to the table with something that's been already off the truck and they just rinse and repeat, right? Versus I think, you know, frankly, digging in and trying to understand what, um, you know, what the scenario is both today and, and where it's going to lead tomorrow, I think is the best outcome for the customer with really great partners that can do that. Yeah. Sitting in the CEO's chair or the CIO's chair, um, important decisions have to be made. More and more technology is enabling businesses, bringing businesses to a better level, a bigger level, scalability, all these issues that we're talking about. There's other things that we have to think about, right? There's cultural alignment. Does the, does the organization understand how we're getting from here to there and the investment that they're making in this um, selection process? How would you advise the executive team? How would you help the CIO um, inform the executive team around this kind of a decision and the impact of a decision like this relative to um, implementing a very large scale ERP system. So Eric, why don't you give us a, give us your thoughts on that? Well, there's a, there's a lot there that, that needs to be addressed. I mean, first of all, you have the, the overall alignment and just making sure that the executive team is aligned and making sure that they understand when they're not aligned and right. alignment's a, nebulous term, it can mean a lot of different things to different people. But when we think of alignment, we think, are you on the same page with how difficult this transformation is going to be or how much money it's going to take or what kind of operational changes you're willing to take on? A lot of times the CIO comes in with a transformation or software implementation and executives say, okay, that sounds great, go do it. And the CIO will try to do it, but then the executive team's not aligned on what does this really mean to the, to the business. Right. So really defining what just what does this transformation mean? What do we expect to get out of it? How much is it going to cost? What kind of pain are we willing to go through or not? And all that good stuff. And along those same lines is even though the CIO should be at the board level and is obviously an important executive within most organizations, it shouldn't be a technology driven process. It should be an operations or business driven process. And the technology should enable the broader business transformation goals. And that's an important shift because 
CIOs oftentimes end up with a bullseye on them because executives say, okay, we approved it. We gave you the money and I'll go do it. And now you failed because we weren't aligned, but it's still your fault because it was an IT project. Right. So you really need to get a partner within the business that can help take some of that pressure off you, if anything, just for your own career longevity, if anything, not to mention the fact that it's a, it's important to the success for the organization. Yeah, so setting expectations and helping them understand and how to set expectations at the executive level and the board level on this decision and, and carrying them through that process from beginning to end. And it's no different from an infrastructure perspective. Um, you got to have the right infrastructure partner so that the business can think about these things long term. So how do you guys set that table for the executive team, the board, and so on? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's you know, the, the partnership and having, you know, really that partner at the table that's, right. that's probably willing to, um, you know, there's an existing set of processes that are going to have to change. You know, how much can you get kind of out of out of the box versus having to do a bunch of customization, right? I think that's that's an area that, uh, in terms of a lot of, of projects that we've done and, and, and with our customers is, how do you get some bang for the buck with the platform, right? Rather than having to go reinvent the wheel every single time. Short, small wins, you know, being able to fail fast, you know, is, right. is, is critical. But I think that strong, who else is at the table at the board level or the, or the C-suite level that you can really count on? Because, you know, average lifespan of a CIO is what, two years? And, and I would say, in a project, especially looking at ERP, it's such a big, you know, it's the crown jewels, right? And um, it's going to really take that strong partnership of everybody working together. It's not just a CIO that's going to make it successful or, or not. It's a long tail, right? Uh, relative to an ERP implementation, uh, change management is really misunderstood and not really anticipated at a very high level. And, and how do you drive value long term for that investment, right? So do you hang around? I mean, are you there for your partners long term? And I would ask that of both of you. I mean, I'm sure from an infrastructure perspective, if they have an engagement with you to host this um, this software, but how do you help them with that long tail of impact and driving value um, out of the business? Well, first I'd say I hope Jason's there for the long term because if he's not there, there's no uh, right. <laughs> there's no infrastructure right, right, to right. support the systems. But yeah, I'd say our company does stay involved up through the implementation and even post implementation, because a lot of times companies will get to that, call it the soft finish line of the go live. They, they implement the new technologies, but usually there's something missing. You haven't right. implemented all the modules. You haven't gotten all the value you could be getting out of it. Maybe there's another upgrade or a new version of the software that you could be deploying. So it really becomes more of a continuous journey. You know, you might have a soft finish line, but you're not done. You've got to keep, you've got to keep on it. And a lot of times companies think that with the appeal of, of cloud and especially software as a service types of technologies where the updates are automatic, they think, okay, well then we're done. The software vendor is just gonna roll out or push out right. the changes and that's it. But the reality is you, even if that is true, you've got to align your business with those new processes and help people through the changes. And it's more of a continuous journey once you get past that, that go live. One other thing that you mentioned that, that I wanted to come back to is just the one of the big cultural changes that happens in these sorts of transformations is from an executive level, you get the executives and the other stakeholders in the company that become sort of conditioned over time to get whatever they want out of their technology. They can just go ask the IT guy or gal, hey, you know, create this report for me or make this change to the system. And then you move to this cloud environment where you've got commercial off the shelf software and maybe software as a service where you're pretty standardized in your, in your processes. And you suddenly don't have that same level of control and ability to change the technology. So that's a really big 
when we talk about misalignment, that's a big misalignment in the expectations between IT and, and the rest of the business. So that's something that needs to be navigated as well. Jason, uh, you know, I think of this in three areas. I think of it as adoption, engagement, and performance. Um, do you guys, I mean, and I'm, I'm asking because I don't know, because this is curious to me. Um, do you guys help relative to the performance um, as, you, as you begin to work with that partner long-term uh, with managing that asset for them? Definitely. I mean, I would say 80% of our customers um, utilize ongoing management services from us, right? So we're, we're very much 24 by 7 operations. In fact, I, I joke to a lot of our bigger customers, if you're not talking to us on a, a pretty continuous basis, then something's not going to go right, right? So we're really a partner with them. We're augmenting their team. They might have some great database architects and engineers, but you know, we have a whole fleet that can do it you know 24 by 7 right so it's really about that ongoing partnership with the with the customer and looking at performance of the platform i mean i we just did our our um our, our new implementation of erp and i would say for the first month had you know performance issues that we had to go figure out right, right. so it's it's i think very common in the early days of any of these big projects that you've got to go sort through that and need a partner that can be there both architecturally, you know, at the front end, because maybe something's not quite right there, or maybe it's with the implementation. Yeah. And that's where most of the value is too, because you spend however much time and money you spend getting to the go live and just getting the changes and the system and the new processes rolled out. But just that incremental little bit you do after the finish line to say, mm -hmm. okay, now we're going to optimize and we're going to make sure we tweak the way we deployed it. That's where you get the most value. And that's where, but, but a lot of companies will just stop and say, okay, we're done. Let's go back to our day jobs. And they, they leave a ton of value on the table. After spending all that time and money, they're not getting the ROI right. that they should have gotten. Implementation fatigue, you have to walk them through it, right? Because it's a, it's it's a, a big deal. Yeah. It's a real thing. Especially right? for you know, projects that might take two years. Everybody's like, yeah. okay, we're done. Yeah. 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 What, can we move not. on to something else? <laughs> that's right? really we're just the, the new beginning, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you. Appreciate that. Eric, big scary word, change management. Right. Um, you know, a lot of folks, they want the best performance out of this selection that they've made for the business to be successful. Um, but change management's big. Right. So how do you think about that? How do you coach and are you there to help them get through an implementation like this from a change management perspective? Because that could be where it all fails. Right? right. The infrastructure could be great. The software could perform. But change management is scary. How do you help them through that? Yeah, and it's an area that's near and dear to my heart. That's where I started my career was as a change management consultant for big ERP projects. And so I've seen the good, the bad, the ugly from an organizational perspective. And it's probably easiest to start with what it's not. Change management is not training. You know, it's not training how to use a new system. It's not just that last couple of weeks before a go live. There's a lot more that should be happening before that. But most companies fail to realize that, that there's a lot of definition of roles and responsibilities. Usually technology results in changes to people's jobs. And so we've got to define what that means because you could build a system that does all these great things, but it's totally off track with what the mm -hmm. people are doing, the way their jobs are designed. And so you've got to bring those two things together to say, okay, well, we're either gonna to have to change the people and change their job roles and responsibilities to adapt to the software or vice versa, or maybe it's some combination of both. So that organizational design piece is very important. You also want to look at the culture. Are you trying to bend your culture to be more disciplined or more customer centric or whatever it is you're trying to accomplish as an organization generally translates to some sort of behavioral change you're looking for from your people. And again, you can slam in all the technology you want. It's not going to matter if people aren't thinking the way you need them to think. So there's a cultural component that, that goes along with that. And, and probably the easiest way to summarize how we go about this is 
we'll do early in an evaluation process and continuing through the implementation, we'll do a series of organizational readiness assessments and really just analyzing where are those pitfalls and organizational points of resistance and let's anticipate those before they become a problem. Uh, a good example is, you know, we'll talk to clients a lot of times we'll say, change management's not gonna be hard because our people are ready for the change. They hate these old systems that we use and they're ready for the change. And that's probably true. You know, most people aren't lying when they say that. They probably are ready for the change. But where the challenge comes is once you get below the tip of the iceberg and start to define what the changes are, uh, it might be that Jason, you know, that spreadsheet you created 20 years ago that you've been managing yourself right. for 20 years. I'm going to take that away from you now and put Darn it in it. a new technology. <laughs> and I haven't figured out yet what you're going to do with your time. Spreadsheet. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> but don't worry about it. You know, right. we're just going well, so to you're, you're, you're kind of affecting people's jobs, right? And which, yeah. is, which is definitely a big deal. Yeah. 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 So that, okay. that level of assessment, change impact, and really just understanding how people will likely resist the change because they will resist it. They may not seem like it now, and it's not that they mean to sabotage the project or they don't want to change deep down, but it suddenly becomes personal when I take away Jason's spreadsheet and all of a sudden he starts wondering, what am I gonna right. do with my time? And so we've got to figure out, well, what is he gonna do with his time, first of all? I mean, are we gonna give him new responsibilities? Are we gonna move him to a different department? And those are hard conversations. And that's the kind of stuff that holds up. And you can't always have those people involved at the front end, right? There's some that you can as sort of key yeah. users, but then you, you, you'll have everybody at some point involved, which is just not scalable. So, yeah. yeah. How, does, how does Flexential address that from the standpoint of being, you know, because you're not in proximity. You're, I mean, you're managing the software potentially in your facility or you're, or you're managing in the cloud for them or however you do that. How do you how do you help organizations address the issue of change management? Well, we like to be involved up front, right? So we right. We, we probably have you know out of out of uh, roughly a thousand people, we have maybe a hundred architects, right? So being able to go and engage you know up front in a in a, in a partnership and an engagement um, to sort of set that stage and be right. you know involved really as as much into the front of the process as possible because I think we've all been in scenarios where okay, this is what I need. And you're given the parts list and you're like, well, I don't, I, you know, I have no idea what the intent of this parts list might actually be. So we'd rather be a seat at the table and really help figuring that out with the customer. And, and then we can, frankly, it's easier for us then to pivot if we see something, well, look, we, we undersize this platform over here. We've got to do an upgrade there. Being able to be a bit more nimble because we have a lot more context of what's actually going on. Fantastic. Yeah. What about the organizational impact of the IT departments? Do you, do you guys see that often where now you're kind of moving the infrastructure out of their four walls into your facilities and then what do you do with the IT department from there? Yeah, I mean, it's the server hugger, you know, mentalities definitely have, have some of that. And, you know, I think the good thing is we can, we can, you know, if they want to use co-location, we can still allow them to go hug their servers because they can come into the data center and hug their servers, right? So if they're, if they're looking more for a private cloud solution because they want to really shift from a, a capex to more of an opex play then um really it is about augmenting that team and and frankly to your point about the spreadsheet you know they probably have other other things as they look at their maturity cycle if they want to get to so they can offload some of the the data data to us or offload some of the project work to us and, and they can really start to innovate kind of in different areas yeah i would see it would be a, an exercise of you know the lower value things that they do push that down into the mm -hmm. technology and the higher value things they can work on strategically across the organization. Exactly, like security. I mean, security right. and vulnerability management right now is like, you just can't have enough resources to go right. to go work on that. And that's, you know, that's a big right. area of, of investment. Yeah. Organizations like to do things themselves, right? They wanna, they wanna give their talent a chance to show off 
if you will. Um, and this is a hard thing, and this is a really difficult um, choice to make. Um, why wouldn't you want to just do this yourself? You know, why would I seek out not only a relationship with a company like Third Stage, but find out what partnerships you have and, and you have to help me get from start to finish and beyond? Well, I, I would argue that you, you would want to go find a partner simply because most organizations don't do this for a living every day. And, you know, you may have a couple people on your staff or a few people that have been through it once before or maybe twice before. But there is no substitute for that volume of experience and those lessons learned. And quite candidly, I've made and seen a lot of mistakes in, in implementations over the years. And you'd rather hire someone like me or our company who has made a lot of those mistakes already and won't repeat them on your dime. So that's a, probably the biggest reason, especially because these these transformations and these implementations are so risky. I mean, the, the, the downside, if you mess it up, isn't just that you spent a little bit more time and money than you expected on the implementation, although that is a real risk. The bigger risk is what happens on the other side. You know, are you able to ship product? Are you able to close the books? Right. And too often, you know, it's about, you know, according to our research, it's a little over half the time, companies have some sort of material operational disruption where they can't ship product, yeah. they can't close the books, whatever. Right, they can't do their day job. Right. Right, because they, they, they got in the way and the board didn't understand we're making these, we're making these um, investments in IT and you know why are we bringing other folks to do this? I think it's a big accountability factor too. And I, I, you know, we I used to call it torpedo management, right? There's always something happening somewhere that's going to take you off your your whatever your day is, especially in the world of ops. Um, and, and typically in in a company, the, the people that are trying to do an implementation like this, they're they're operational people, so their torpedo management torpedoes are everywhere. So I think it drives some level of accountability too, because you can really say to your partner, like, look, hey, we got to get this done. We got to be able to ship product. How do you drive that accountability? And, you know, frankly, take a little bit of the focus off the internal team so they can still do some of the things they need to do, but still drive accountability to get the project done. Yeah, yeah these partnerships make sense to me because I'm, you know, I am a pretty agnostic person when it comes to trying to figure out what my business needs because I want it to fit what I'm trying to do for my customers. Um, so how would you talk about, you know, when you when you're looking for the right relationship right because this is what this is it's a relationship um how do, how do you look for those relationships that that the partner that you're picking has that can help you think about this in total in, in totality right because there may be other organizations that will sell you um, an erp system erp software but they're going to give you um, the responsibility of understanding what that means to your infrastructure right so how do you how do you coach um, CEOs and CIOs and the board around the relationships that you formed? Well, you know, the of value to us, because we're independent and technology agnostic, we tend to value partnerships and relationships that are also technology agnostic. And part of the reason why we like working with Flexential is because they're not just an SAP shop or an Oracle shop or whatever, pick a technology and insert it here. They, they do a wide variety of different uh, types of, of systems and applications that they can host. And the other part of it too is that uh, they obviously have some breadth and scale of capability and some depth in a number of different areas. So that's just one example. But in general, you know, we tend to value partnerships that are agnostic, and certainly you want to be doing what's right for the customer. I mean, we we tend to be disruptors in the industry because we're kind of challenging the status quo of that vendor-driven model of, you know, feeding you biased sales and marketing info, and then hiring industry analysts to spit out that same biased info, hiring a bunch of consultants to go out and you know, be an army of marketers for your, your product. Whereas we come in and say, we don't care about the technology. 
we care about you client, the business, and let's figure out which of these options out here in the marketplace work. So that, that agnostic view of the world is probably the most important thing for us, as well as, you know, cultural fit and just general skills and capabilities as well. What's your guys' approach? Well, that's all I think you hit on it. It's, it's trust, right? It's being right. able to call, you know, Eric up and say, hey, you know, I think on behalf of this customer, we've, we've got to go revisit this or we got to look at this. I think that's, I think ultimately if a, if a customer, you know, is going to go and engage, you know, on a project that is this big, right? Having that relationship and trust factor across the principles that are involved are, is really, you know, the key, the key to success, frankly. Well, and having you both at the seat, uh, having a seat at the table at, at the onset, right, right? Exactly. up front, um, eliminates that issue or concern about connectedness relative to the completion of the project, right? And, and, and really getting into and having skin in the game for outcomes, right? For where you want to go long And I think it's that mindset too, the approach, you know, the commonality around your approach and our approach and, and being more best of breed and not coming to the table with a bunch of foregone, you know, pre preconceived uh, notions that, and really trying to listen to the customer and figure out where they're, where they're headed. Yeah. Eric, Jason, appreciate it. This was great. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today and sharing this information. Yep. Thanks for having us, Steve. Thank you. If you're looking for more digital transformation best practices, I encourage you to download our 2021 digital transformation report. I've included a link to that below. It includes a lot of best practices and software evaluation and rankings. I encourage you to check that out. And also feel free to reach out to me. I've included my contact information below. If you'd like to learn more about how we can help, or if you just like a sounding board through your digital transformation journey, be happy to set up some time to speak with you. So hope you enjoyed the video and have a great day. Hey, feeling good, like I should, if you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Feeling blessed, never stressed. Got that sunshine on my Sunday best. Welcome back. What an interesting conversation. I mean, it's always so good to hear people just having a casual conversation around a topic like this, right? It kind of brings it down to ground level and helps you understand all the different components, all the different pieces that play into you know, what it takes to drive a successful transformation. I think it was in the last episode where Eric mentioned 80% of, of, of digital transformations are destined to fail. Now, does that mean that if you're going on a digital transformation, you're probably going to fail? No, but it just means if you don't do it right and you don't take the right steps toward executing it, there's a good chance it's not going to work out or at least that you're not going to optimize all of the benefits that come with implementing a new software or a new technology. So I wanted to dive deeper into the like ground level of what these guys were talking about. What is the, the foundation here? It all comes back to what you do at the beginning. And I found it super interesting because it's all of the intangibles that really drive a successful transformation. I mean, if you think about it, you have so many different technologies available, so many different ERP softwares that can, can provide what you need, 
But ultimately, it comes down to the people. It comes down to how are you managing it? What's the vision? How are you going about implementation? What are your operations? And how can you optimize what you're doing? Now, specifically, they talked a lot about future-proofing. Now, future-proofing your business, it could be easier for some than others, right? It takes a lot of forward-thinking, visionary mentality to kind of figure out how can you future-proof your business when you don't know what the future holds? I mean, nobody would have guessed that 2020 was going to be a crazy ride like it was, right? But it was something that completely made or break, broke, made or broke a lot of businesses and organizations. But if it taught us anything, it's that we need to be flexible as businesses and we need to adapt with the times and, you know, especially with technology progressing so quickly, we need to have that nimbleness, right? So let's talk about what it means to understand the future state of your company. Now, ultimately, my question was, what happens when you plan for one path, right? You think you know where you're going. You think you have the idea behind what does my company do today? What is my company going to do in 10 years, right? And then it gets completely thrown off. Like, for example, if you were an event production company that was planning convent or conferences and your five, 10-year plan was to get into managing expo floors adding, you know, conventions to your repertoire, and then all of a sudden, hi, there's the pandemic. You know, if you were if you were on track to do that up until 2019 and then 2020 came, I mean, your whole plan for your future state either just took like a four or five year hiatus or you need to figure out how to adapt. So that was something that came to me in this conversation about specifically building your future state is how do you do it the right way? And ultimately, how do you protect yourself from the unexpected? Because let's face it, life is completely unexpected, right? Now, to me, in my mind, as I was kind of letting that thought marinate, it came down to, you know, planning to go after, for example, just in this example, planning to go after expos and conventions is a what, right? It's a thing. It's, you know, a tangible place that you want to go. If you take it instead from the approach of what is your why behind your business this might not be something that you're as susceptible to so building your company again for this example saying instead of saying i want to bring expos and conventions together your approach could be different in the sense that you want to be good at opening up lines of communications for consumers and businesses or you want to help you know, drive brand awareness for businesses or, you know, dialing in on a higher level, higher purpose driven why behind what your organization does or why you want to get to where you're going. That's going to open up more doors and more ideas for you as you begin planning to get there rather than just saying, we want to plan expos, we want to plan conventions. So that was one thing I thought was interesting. And it all comes back to executive alignment, right? Now, the, the key here is if the owners, if the board members, if the leaders of the organizations are not aligned, then nothing is going to work. And it sounds like from all of these conversations I've had with the awesome third stage team, I mean, it's, it all comes back down to these intangible pieces of, you know, is the ship going in the right direction? Is everybody on the same page? 
does everybody agree? Is the CIO on the same page as the CEO and the CFO? Or are there slightly differing, differing priorities that could be pulling um, you know, the project team in different directions? Because if so, that's where the problem is. And that's going to trickle down and amplify as the project goes on. So it all starts from a top-down approach. I, I highly recommend the book Atomic Habits by James Clear. But in that book, he has this amazing uh, metaphor. Uh, again, we have an airline theme here today, but he said, imagine you are flying from Los Angeles to New York. If the pilot leaves from LAX and adjusts the heading just three and a half degrees south, you would land in Washington, D.C. instead of New York. So such a small change. It's barely noticeable at takeoff. You just kind of pivot just a little bit, three and a half degrees, which is, I think it comes down to 86 inches is what he said. It will land you over the course of flying across the whole United States, 225 miles away from your target. So, I mean, that's just such a fascinating metaphor to think about because it, it applies to the direction that your executives are deciding to take the company. If you have one executive who's just a little bit out of alignment with the rest of the team, it could land your, your digital transformation project. It could land your company as a whole in a completely different place. So very interesting things to think about. Obviously, if you're going into a digital transformation, make this a priority. If you're an owner of a company, make sure your other owners or your, your co-founders or whoever is helping you guide the ship or fly the plane is on the same page. Uh, make sure your managers are on the same page. Drive alignment, make that a priority, and it's going to set you way ahead in your, in your transformation efforts. Now, the second thing, once you figure that out, is the operational side. So how do you figure out how to get there? You know where you are today. You know where you want to go. What do your operations look like today and what needs to change to help you get there? Um, and this is how a lot of people, I mean, this came up in the conversation um, with Eric and Steve and Jason when it came down to really like the software selection process. So I'm still very front loaded, um, you know, front end in this review of, you know, the whole digital transformation, because I mean, the first part is the most important part. How you lay the groundwork is going to be how your transformation ends in many cases. So I wanted to talk a little bit about gap analysis because that's the whole point of this, right? Is you know where you are today, you found your future state, you figured out your why, you know where you're going, how do you get there? How do you close the gap? Um, so let's dive into that. I wanna see examples, I wanna talk about, you know, what are the steps of, of gap analysis? And I'm curious to get your guys' opinions too, so make sure to comment um, and leave your feedback on this as well. So looking at your current state, right? You're at point A, you want to go to point B. You need to dial in on the key steps and the action plan to get there. And oftentimes that includes implementing the right ERP system. It might in include adjusting your processes. It might include, you know, just doing things a little bit differently, obviously, to get to where you're going. Um, I have some examples here. If you're looking at how to drive productivity, like let's look at a factory example. So if a factory's productivity is not meeting expectations, um, you know, you do a gap analysis to help determine what is the process behind what you're doing today that's holding you back. 
Um, if a hospital finds itself running short on supplies on a regular basis, you could do a gap analysis to identify the reason why um, and see if, if that gap can be filled by updating your technology. Uh, even sales, I mean, if you look at a manufacturer who's, who's producing shoes, for example, um, is, there, is their line working, their assembly line working at an optimal level or is there something that can be adjusted there? So really, ultimately, it's like, where is the problem? Um, what is missing from what we're doing today and what we need to do in the, to get to where we wanna go? and then identifying how you can get there, right? So looking at the areas to be analyzed and identifying the goals to be accomplished. So if you wanna figure out why your factory is not meeting its output target, the goal would be to discover what's the root cause of you not meeting that target. So step one, what did we just talk about? Future state. If everything worked according to plan, where would you be? So what is your vision? What's the strategy and what are your objectives? This is where executive alignment comes into play. Everybody needs to be aligned, owners need to be aligned, board members need to be aligned, management and front line members need to be aligned. So if everybody's going the same direction, that's how you know you're gonna get there. The second thing is analyzing the current state. So what causes are being contributed to missing the target? Is it a training issue? Is it a staffing issue? Is it trouble with raw materials? Is it the layout of your manufacturing floor? Where are you right now at point A and what, what is missing, right? And then it's doing a comparison of those two places that you are, where you are today as far as your business processes and your objectives for today versus your objectives for five, 10 years from now. And when you're comparing that, it all comes down to where's the target and where are you going? So when you look at the gaps, there's different ways that you can quantify the gaps and really attribute the root causes to different things that are happening. So say, for example, you know, you were supposed to produce a thousand units per hour, but you're only managing to produce 800 units per hour. So that's a 20% shortfall. So you could look at this as, you know, 5% of this gap is due to staffing problems. 7% is due to not having enough materials. Uh, you know, 14% of this is inventory management troubles or, you know, dirty data that we've been using to help manage our inventory. So ultimately it's breaking down and prioritizing the root causes of what the problem is. And when you can identify the leading issues such as in this example, inventory management mistakes at 14%, that's the biggest driver in your gap. So are there ERP systems out there that can help you, uh, you know, kind of figure out how to drive your uh, data management system or your inventory management system? Is there something out there that can help you guys clean up your data? Um, you know, it's dialing in on those root causes and figuring out how can you clean it up so that you can help close the gap. Now there's many other rating systems that you can use. You don't have to use percentages. You could use, you know, a good fair poor terminology type of rating, or you can use something on a scale like a one to fifty scale. Um, but the 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 goal is to figure out and prioritize what are the biggest drivers to the gap. 
that we are experiencing from where we are today to where we want to be in 10 years. Now, once you figure this out, summarizing and figuring out what exactly it is that's hurting you and holding you back, that's where you can figure out what type of solution would be appropriate. And a lot of times when it comes back to a digital transformation, maybe there's a ERP system that's specific within the manufacturing industry that would be a good fit to help you in your specific problem of having inventory troubles or gauging your raw materials before it needs to go to the manufacturing floor, for example. There's a lot of different elements that, um, and a lot of different softwares that could speak to these specific needs for you, whether you're in the manufacturing industry, whether you're a large organization, whether you're a small business, there's a lot of content out there. And I encourage you guys to actually visit the Third Stage Consulting website and check out our blogs because we have some of the top manufacturing or, or top ERP systems for these different industries. So manufacturing, um, you know, distribution, et cetera. So there's a lot of content out there for you to dial in on the solutions that will help you get past uh, the gap, if you will. So ultimately it comes back to understanding where you are today and where you're going. You know, that's the first step. And if you can do that and you can get your ownership, your executive leadership all on the same page, all in alignment as you kick off a digital transformation, it's going to trickle down from there. You know, are your executives aligned on the strategy and where you're going? Do you have a clear process map of how you want to get to where you're going? And from there, it's easy to dial in on a technology that works for you and for your company to help you get from point A to point B. Now, with that said, I appreciate you guys being with me today. This is our solo cast. You know, I'm missing Eric to have our engaging conversations, but I know, uh, you know, I'm excited to come back in the future episodes with Eric and we'll discuss these details and these topics really in more detail uh, in future episodes. But make sure to tune in every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Mountain Time, 3 p.m. London, 11 p.m. Hong Kong. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We are on everything. So make sure to find us and stay tuned uh, for more content to come. But we appreciate you joining us today and take care. This is Parisa Noble with Transformation Ground Control. Bye-bye.